And this afternoon's Bible study is coming from Isaiah the 48th chapter, the first and the ninth verse, where God's doing for Israel is releasing them from captivity for the fulfillment of his word. If we just summarize and briefly look at this chapter, first verse says, Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or none righteousness. In other words, he's addressing the people because it's a hypocritical people that he's addressing. They've been a hypocritical nation. They operate as the church is today in name only. In name only. I'm not talking about the Republican Party or nothing. When they say rhinos, they say rhinos that Republican in name only. Well, here they were God's people in name only. They used the name of the Lord. You see where they did that in the book of Revelations in one of the churches. They said that they had his name. I had a name which is alive, but they're dead. Sometimes people carry a person's name, and I was telling you, a name kind of has a person's reputation attached to that. That's how you identify that, what's going on with that individual. And that's what God says for his name's sake, what he was doing this. The second verse tells of what he has done that they show that they show know who he is and has the capacity to do. It says, for they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning and they went forth out of thine, out of my mouth. And I showed them and I did them suddenly and they came to pass. Verse three tells of their rebelliousness, the stubbornness and rebelliousness as he was prophesying and telling them of coming what comes to pass, goes on to say how obstinate they are, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is iron sinew, and the, thy brow brass. Just how rebellious of a person they are, and they had heard God's prophecies, the prophets that, prophecies that he had made, and if they studied and was mindful of what would lead them to a conclusion of his providence, and of his sovereignty, but they didn't, they failed to listen or failed to process this. But for his name's sake, he says in verse 9, he says, For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain from thee, that I cut thee not off. In other words, judgment was going to come on some of them or whatever, but his anger wasn't going to burn till he completely annihilate all of them that he would save a remnant and restore a remnant. Because ever since the beginning of Genesis, he had promised them a redeemer. Mm -hmm. He had promised restoration for man that they would bruise Satan's heel, even though Satan would bruise their heel, that they would bruise Satan's head. They, they would be victorious and overcome Satan. The deliverer here come in the guise of Cyrus it, that's Go bring them out. Cyrus is the man that God talks about. That's he go lend him his strong right hand, and he's go bring them out. It was a Gentile king that was go bring his people out, but he was go use the process 
Now, now, that verse says, the eighth verse, I think it is, it says uh, that they was, he was, tenth verse, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. In other words, this process was a tentative process differing from silver in that it would be unique to each and every individual person, a child of God, just like in Israel, so as the church today. Salvation is personal. God had chosen a people. He chosen the Pacific people we see here where he chose the remnant out. Those are the one that was going to bear his name. But as he told Moses in the wilderness to go about his business, those that had sinned against him, he would judge them, uh, uh, bring about their punishment. So there was going to be punished, some punished unto death, but some God would be merciful, not that they were good people, right. not that any of them was deserving. We go in the book of Romans and it says there's none good, not one. So we know there's nobody deserving of this, but for the sake of his name, for his reputation, or for who he is, he wasn't going to destroy them all, that he was going to save some for his name's sake. His name in particular, and we see where it designates his character, who he is. He's very guardian of his name. In the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, in the 7th verse says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is, irreverently or in false affirmations or in ways that impugn the character of God. And that's what they were doing. They were swearing falsely. They was using God's name as the church does today. I was reading to where it says the Trump and the evangelical portion that followed him were having this divorce that they were falling out. And he was saying that you can't abandon me because I've abandoned you first, you know, that y'all not breaking up with me. I've broken up with y'all or whatever. Well, we know that wasn't going to last long with them anyhow. But though that portion of the professing Christians, uh, church people that were backing them, I think if they were questionable anyhow, we've been talking about their true nature as Christians anyhow. We know that was an inevitable split, but in other words, they they are some of the ones in the church that as David and as some other people has caused God's name to be blasphemed, yes. to be spoken evil of because they say, well, I thought a Christian was supposed to live this way. I thought a Christian was supposed to do that and do these things. So it's not that the Christian community has been doing right or whatever, but for God's name's sake, for his reputation, he's intervening. He intervenes. Yeah. And he was intervening at that time. He intervened with Cyrus to bring him out and say, all y'all that want to return, that want this salvation, you can go back. You have to come out of Babylon. Yes. Babylon was geographical then, but now Babylon is spiritual Babylon. We have to come out of the world. Our character has to be set apart. He says, come out from among them, be ye separate, and you'll be my sons and daughters, and I'll be a father unto you. So we have to not follow the world and what's the world doing or whatever if we're going to bear Christ's name. 
continue on in that verse, it says, For the Lord will not hold guiltless nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain. In other words, disregarding its reverence and its power. You know, some people say, well, man, you shouldn't be cursing in, you know, in God's name or using God's name in curses and swearing. And a Christian has a certain obligation or responsibility to uphold if he's going to be a Christian. Yeah. If he's going to be called the son of God. We talked last week in First John where it says, now you're the sons of God. Beloved, now are you the sons of God? Whereas sons of God, we should conduct ourselves as sons of God because he had given us the power to become the sons of God. In other words, he had given us his spirit. We talked in the book of Psalms about the 23rd Psalm. He says that he was going to guide us and lead us for his name's sake. He was going to lead us in paths of righteousness. So we should be a repentant people turning away from our old ways, all of that in Ephesians about we were once in darkness, now we're children of the light, let us walk in light as we're given the light of the Lord. That's what he had, was given to be a light unto the Gentiles. He says that in the 18th verse, I think it is. Uh, what verse you read there? Uh Verse 17 says, uh, Thus said the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. His Spirit is what guides us and leads us in all truth. It's the Lord thy God that does this, that's doing it through us, that he's in us, and if we would take heed and be obedient, he says, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace has been as a river and thine righteousness as waves of the sea. In other words, constant flowing peace. Peace when you lie down. Peace when you rise up. Peace when you go to work. Just abundant shalom. It's a, a peace that excels it all understand. A peace that no man can take it away. Nothing can take away the peace that God give it unto us. He says that uh, this commandment, like the second commandment about not taking his name in vain, has a, a, includes a warning within it. Now, what does it mean when he says that he would not hold him guiltless for those that take the name of the Lord in vain? He says, I will not, uh, he would not be hold him guiltless. Uh, Sometimes God deliberately understates a warning as a subtle form of emphasis which ultimately magnifies its meaning. The penalty for taking God's name in vain is death. You remember he told Cain, he says, uh, Why thought wrath? Why is that countenance falling? If thou doest good, or if thou doest well, thy sacrifice will be accepted. But the death penalty is for using the Lord's name in vain, and that's what they were doing. They were taking the Lord's name lightly or in vain. Name is a part of the description of the character, who or what that individual is. I was telling you 
Sunday, I think it was, about Jezebel and about what the stigma that's attached to a name. It pays dividends and insight and understanding to take note of biblical names. Names given, you know, like I said, some parents named the child John, Mark, Luke, and all different names, but nobody named their daughter Jezebel. Uh, in biblical thought, a name is not merely a label of identification, also, but it's also expression of the barrels now who bear that name of the essential nature, of the nature of that individual. So we have names, and we don't look at the permanency of those names because we know in heaven we'll be given a new name. In the kingdom of God, he gives us a new name, that name that would identify us. But now we bear the name that we are given in this life. It includes the bearer's reputation, his character, and his distinctiveness from others. Uh, for example, in all probability, Adam named the beast based on the observations of the distinctiveness of their nature looking at the nature of those animals as when God told Satan that cursed uh, is he above all animals and that he would go on his belly from that time forth. You know, when you name a snake or when you talk about a snake, any type of snake or whatever, you think of subtility. You think of something wise. You think of something very dangerous, you think of something very cunning and deceptive, a treacherous person, a person, you know, with a name of somebody say, man, you know, you're a snake in the grass, or that guy's like a snake in the grass, uh, different names I see in the obituary where some people give people nicknames or whatever, we have to watch the names we're calling one another or whatever. Nowadays, uh, it went through a period, I don't know if they're still doing it, saying, calling each other their dog or whatever. You're my dog or whatever. And that's a nickname of different things. We have to watch the, the power, the thing that we have in names and the names we follow. A lot of people buy jerseys or sneakers or vehicles or whatever that carry a specific name. You know, let's get a pair of Air Jordans or whatever. What Well, what does the name does? Is the name make you a super player? Or the name designates expensiveness. What's so reputable about that name Jordan, Air Jordans, or whoever's endorsing a pair of sneakers, or, you know, LeBron James, I think he has his, you know. But it, his brand is not as skewered in my site as the name Jordan, that Air Jordan's a thing. I think there's a lot of, well, let me keep my personal opinions away from that, but we know that, we know people line up for him, the different models, and ever since he's retired or whatever, each few years or whatever, when he comes out with a different pair, people line up to buy those or whatever. It's the name attached to those sneakers or whatever. Uh, but Adam named the giraffe, I guess, the lion. I, it wasn't as many species, uh, as many dis genres, uh, what you call it, class, phylum, division, uh, species, uh, 
whatever, you know, man have created a lot of these that is by mixing it and breeding and animal husbandry or whatever. So it wasn't the list of names that we have now, you know. Dogs wasn't as if dogs nowadays, all the different breeds of dogs or whatever. But they belonged to that when it is a phylum or class or order, species. Similarly, to know the name of God is to know God as he has revealed himself. That is, to know some of his nature. And that's what Moses asked, who shall I tell him sent me? If they ask, who shall I tell him has sent me? What's your name? And he says, tell him I am has sent you. Well, that I am is I am who I am. That That's past, present, and eternity. Yeah. That name is eternity. That's a name there in which we See, uh, Jesus said that before Moses was, I am. And the people was ready to stone him because of using that name. I, when he says, I am, they know what he was meaning or what he implied by the use of that name. When Esau was born, he came out and he was red, the color of red. And that's why his name was Esau. He was red or whatever. Adam named Eve as the mother of all of the living mm-hmm. at time. Jacob, he breached when he came out and she had tied a string around one of the babies, but he went back in and Jacob got the name as supplanter, which means subtle a heel catcher. You remember, he is the one that supplanted his brother Esau uh, for the birthright. Esau says, is he not rightly named J- uh, Jacob? That's in Genesis twenty-seven thirty-six because he supplanted him for that birthright. Uh, it comes from the Old Testament and it means supplanter, which is often interpreted as someone who seizes or circumvents or usurps. And to illustrate, Jacob supplants his brother Esau twice. A supplanter is one is who is skilled by skill, deceit, or force takes the place of another. So you see, we had to have a name change. Of God gave Jacob a new name. He gave him Israel as a prince with God, a prince with the people. And when he's talking derogative of Israel in the Old Testament, he calls them Jacob. He don't call them Israel. He calls them Jacob when they've done something wrong or saying something. A lot of times he used Jacob. He calls Judah in Israel at one time. He called them Sodom and Gomorrah. He called them Sodom and Gomorrah. So a name has a reputation of something that's attached to it. And we have to watch what we're doing with our body and with our lives. If we could be called sons of God, we can't attach that to a harlot. He says you can't join the body of Christ to a harlot. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful. Uh, Thus Jacob is is at first a supplanter, yet when he changes, God names him more appropriately, giving him a different Name and we know Satan was a supplant. Everything of evil and wickedness, all of those characteristics, we label under Satan. Yes. Whereas none of those attributes or characteristics 
a name of God. You remember he says your, 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 your father is a murderer. In other words, Satan was his father. He was a liar in the beginning. Why? Lying, killing, and stealing is all attached to Satan. If somebody calls you a devil, that's not a compliment. That's more or less not a compliment. Another clear example occurs when Abigail pleads with David for Nabal's life. As his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. First Samuel 25 and 25. Uh, that name Nabal means a dole, a vile person, or fool, someone without good sense. Thus, the Bible shows that a name tends to exercise con- constraint on, on a person to conform to his nature. We have to watch what we name or the name we use or what we attach to a name of group. Uh, in Hebrew thought, then a name is inextricably bound with the name thing's existence. Nothing exists unless it has a name and its essence is concentrated in its name. The essence of what that creature, what that individual, whatever it is. Hence, creation is not complete until Adam names all of the creatures. You remember God calls them the past before Adam and whatever name Adam called them, that's the name that was attached to them. To cut off a person's name is to end the bearer's existence. Uh, To change a person's name is to indicate a shift in his character and standing before God. So when they speak of cutting off someone's name, uh, cutting off uh, different things, your son would be called after your namesake. He's your namesake. In other words, that's your reputation. And when they say, cut off your seed or your name from the earth, in other words, there's no more existence of you through any one that represents your name and all the male children. That's why when Pharisees cut off the male, he was cutting off the lineage of that individual and Hebrew culture. That's why he told only to go in. uh, And then it happened with Judas son and Ona died in, he says, go in and raise up seed unto your brother. So his name wouldn't be, diminished in the earth. That's how Boaz went into Ruth. So that seed and that through that lineage came David. Uh, to be called by another's name implies that the person's ownership and one bearing that name falls under the authority and protection of the one whose name is called upon. So under, if we're ambassadors of Christ, that means we're representing Jesus Christ. And it does say if we name his name, let him depart from iniquity. We don't want to represent the name of Christ in a callous way or something that brings repute unto his name. You remember I was telling you about yes. that name in vain. And yes. See, they had been hypocritical in what all they were doing. God was going to destroy them, but he was going to save some. Not that they was any good or whatever, but because of who he was, his reputation. The third commandment sets the standard of the spiritual cleanliness in a person using the name of God because it's so weighty. If you say you're holy or you say a child of God or who you are, 
that attaches something to your personage, to your character. Even the persona that you carry should be spiritually inclined and grow through God. That's why he says he's going to lead you in the path of righteousness. It builds up a boldness in you. It builds up a setting apart. It must be used or born in truth without hypocrisy or vanity, but in purity of conduct. You can't act treacherously and do things Wickedly thinking evil will come out. You can't be self-motivated, self-ambitious towards self and always self-centered. All of those things make up what's in the name of who you are, who you represent. A person is better off being sincerely wrong than being a professing Christian and denying God's name by the conduct of his name. So that's what I was telling you about the election and the people in this political climate. And they had one guy that's in politics that he already had a criminal record, but he had put a contract out on his the people that he was running against or whatever. But they're running on the name of family values and representing what the nation should be, that it's a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Do you see the stigma and the evil that the evangelical portion of the Christians that have brought up on God's name in the past years, when you get political and when you get devices and all of those things, it brings, puts a red flag up on God's name. It calls his name to be spoken evil among the Gentiles. So as much as they stigmatize and talk about Hollywood and the way Hollywood live and the wicked people and the downtrodden and all of the offensive portions of nature, do you know those are the people that God loves and God can use because it's better to be wrong in a heathen and a pagan and not know God. You're going to be beaten with few less or fewer stripes than those that are professing to be Christians while all the time conniving and stealing, ripping off and causing his name to be blasphemed, knowing these things, that you denying this, you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's four more words. That's four more words. Four words. He says, why? For my own sake, my, for my own sake, I would do it. For how should my name be professed? Up, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm looking at how should my name be profane? That's Isaiah 48 and 11. He says, for my own sake, even for my own sake, will I do it? For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. I'm reading from two or three different versions here. One says polluted and us, other says profane. Profane is meaning to, made, to be made common uh, as desanctify his name. He says, how can this happen? For example, when the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, promising to give to his descendants a specific land, seed, and blessing forever, he had the power to make the promise and to keep it. God's holiness and integrity, in fact, requires that he do so. That's why he he can swear by no other, no greater. He swore by himself. Because of the power of what that means. That's why I say, if we have faith in the promises of God, 
In other words, what that name says, what God says he'll do. That's why we look at his prophecies and all of the, and now the new prophets, the new words, well, we can't contribute that to the idols. They will contribute it to the idols. And God says, be careful when you get wealth so you don't think you had that who had given you power to get that wealth. He was attributing that to other forces, to other things. That's why they say, let's keep prayer out of this, a a lot of religion out of these things, because, you know, a lot of people run a touchdown or do things, and you see them kneeling and praying and all these other things. Now, are these vain attempts to show or portray yourself as a Christian? Are you truly worshiping God trying to give glory to God. God searches the intents and the motivations of the heart. See, that's what happened with this last political thing. This guy, I think, was reading where he had followed Crevelo Dollar and some others that Trump had looked at them. He got that when Crevelo had asked for the money for that janitor plane or some of the things Osteen was saying or doing. And he was seeing this from the evangelical side that this was going to be a boon for him, that he would attack this. You remember I told you the subtlety that's within different personalities, that who you are father of, what subtlety comes from? That's why we have to study, rightly dividing the word of truth, or we'll get taken for a ride. It says you can't deceive the elect. But there are some of the elect that ride the wagon so far, God has to snatch them out of the fire as a brand because they're getting carried away. They're not strong in the Lord. And they empower evil. They empower wickedness. It's a lot of them coming away from him now and saying, well, we couldn't vote for a man like this. We couldn't do that. Well, he was that all along. He can't change a leper, can't change his spots. It's just that he was able to deceive you because of the blindness within yourself. And that's what God was saying about his people, that he wasn't doing this because of them. It was for his reputation. It was for his name. But since he had called them the repentance and turning, he was going to lead them in the right way. But there was going to be a lot of fire. He was going to refine them in the furnace of affliction. There was going to be a lot of suffering. There was going to be a lot that they have to go through, and we do have to go through a lot in this day to come unto the Lord and to be where God wants us to be and who we wants, who he wants us to be. He has a purpose and he has a process that he has to bring us through. He could have brought them right straight into the land, but that was going to cause them to have to face the Philistine. And he said, unless they see the Philistines and get afraid that he wasn't... He was going to have to prove them or test them. In other words, he was going to have to build character. He was going to have to build things in him. I tell you, God's character doesn't come by fiat. He shapes us and molds us and makes us, and he puts himself in us, making us in his image and likeness. This just doesn't come about overnight. That's why with patience we have to endure. Many people seem to misunderstand God's motives. God often asks to protect his holy name. He has promised to restore Israel's kingdom, not due to any merits on Israel's part, but rather for his name's sake, because he said he would do it. And had he said it, and, and wouldn't, he does have the power to do it. 
he don't say things that by being God, what he says, he's able to watch over his word. And he is watching over his word. It brings glory to him to keep his promises. If he ever failed to keep a promise, he would be a liar or a weakling. He is neither. God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23 and 19. Indeed, I have spoken. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Isaiah 46 and 11. I have 19 such verses in the Old Testament where God acts for his name's sake because of his name. 11 such verses in the New Testament tied directly of him acting purposely because of his name. David asked him to do certain things because of his name. Moses said, because of your name, don't come out here and destroy all of these people. They will say, well, you couldn't deliver them. You couldn't fulfill your promises. For his namesake is the reason he asked. It wasn't because of nothing of Solomon. It was before the name of his father, David, for David's reputation, a name that he didn't take to divide those tribes with Solomon alive. He waited to after Solomon was dead through his son, Rehoboam, he caused that division to take place. God is faithful even when we are not faithful. It's like co-signing a note in Proverbs, tell us don't be surety for another. But if you co-sign a note for someone to a lender, it's your name that actually secures that loan. If they don't pay, you, you have to pay. It's your reputation on the line. Now, you pay that note because of your reputation of who you are, plus now they secular, they have a contract on you. They have a contract, but you pay that note because you don't want your name to fail. You said that if he don't, I will because of who I am. That authority, Second Timothy, second chapter, the 11 through the 13th verse This is a faithful and trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, that is, true to his word and his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. So if we fail, he he can't fail, he won't fail. Oh. I think I put the living version here to read that. Let's see how that reads, the living version. He says, I am comforted by this truth that when we suffer and die for Christ, it only means that we will begin living with him in heaven. And if we think that our present service for him is hard, just remember that someday we are going to sit with him and rule with him. But if we give up when we suffer and turn against Christ, then he must turn against us. Even when we are too weak to have any faith left, he remains faithful to us and will help us. For he cannot disavow us who are part of himself, and he will always carry out his promises to us. Now, I think that's a little bit, I, I think you can chew on that. Let's med- If you meditate and try to look at that, if he's the author and the finisher of our faith, he births us into the family. The father had given him a specific number. He says, of all that the father give me, I shall not lose any. So in his molding and shaping, he brings us from the beginning and 
brings us through regeneration. Now, those of us that are rebellious, those of us like Ananias and Sapphira has a question mark by. Those of us, you know what I tell you, some of God's people do die. He says the righteous are taken away and no one takes note of it. God's people do die. God's people do suffer. And David says, I was I went astray before I was afflicted. In other words, before David, God told David the sword would never leave his house, David had went astray. David brought a lot of that up on himself. Yes. But didn't God say, I pardon your sin, I have put that sin away? Right. See, all of our sins, those that are in Jesus Christ, he's paid for those sins. He paid for those sins. Now, he hadn't paid for the world's sins, right? But if he paid for our sin, and the scripture says, every transgression shall receive is just recompense of reward, doesn't God chasten the children that he receives? So the consequences of our sin may bring us into early death. Because we know it says, honor thy parents that your days be long. Now we can be children of God that's rebellious and God called for during the Old Testament that that, that that child be stoned to death. That the parents should bring him to the city and say he's rebellious and he's hard. We can't change it. And they stone him to death. Isn't that dead child still their child? Wasn't that child that God killed of David's? David says, I shall go to him. He shall not come to me. We're not looking at the issue whether Job's children was rebellious or sinful. But we see God still say that he gave Job double of what he had. So even though he gave him seven sons and three more daughters, in doubling that, he still had six daughters and 14 sons, even though seven sons and three daughters was dead. Yes. So whatever I do, I can't stop my son from being my son. Whether he rebellious or whatever, whether he gets killed in a car accident or something happens to him, it's like Jacob's brothers was before Pharaoh. He says we, we have a family of uh, 10, 11 brothers or something, and one is not. That was talking about Joseph. In other words, one is dead, one is gone, but that's still your son. If your son is no good and rebellious and he's in jail, it's just like with us. If we're rebellious and we've been rebellious with God, but we're still his children, aren't we? That's why, you know, a lot of times the mother go to jail to see the son and mothers most of the time go further than the fathers. The fathers a lot of times abandon them. But that's still your child, no matter what that child. That's what the church can't get. That's why I'm saying about these religious arguments. If that son of yours is a homosexual or she's a lesbian or whatever she is, 
You're trying to get me to hate my children. And you know, the, God, the hate that God tells us, you might hate your father, sister, or brother, is that we hate what they're doing or their life that they're living, but they're still our children. We still love them. And that's why he says, love your enemies, those that despitefully misuse you. So being a preacher or a teacher or living the life that we live, there can't be any peace in that home. Because one is serving idols of the devil and one is serving God, but that's still my child. That's still my wife or my husband or my mother or father. Remember, we had one king that rose up and put his mother out as being queen mother because of her lifestyle or what she was doing. So that's where the division comes. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I've come to bring us forth. So we have to stand for God, but it may cause suffering. It may cause division, but your reputation is at stake. I can't let you do that and live under my roof. I can't go along with that. Some news reporter go out and find, oh, his son is this, or his family doing this. Oh, we all have family problems. David had a very dysfunctional family. Jacob had a dysfunctional family. Esau had a dysfunctional family. Show me whose family that they don't have problems in. But but we still love them. It's not a hatred of them, a hatred of hatred. We love even those that despitefully use us and say all manner of wickedness and evil. As when Trump was our president, wasn't it still our job to pray for him and, and pray for the peace of the nation? God has concerns for how his name is represented among the peoples of the earth. When Israel dishonored his name, God scattered them among the nations because that was part of his word that when they were disobedient, that he would scatter them. So he has to honor his word. That would be like the nepotism we've seen in the White House during the last times or whatever. You can't have nepotism. God's word tells us about showing partiality toward the rich and the poor. It says, Ezekiel 6, 36, 19 to 21, And they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, Wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. God has to protect his name, his reputation for who he is. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be but a weakling. Herbert Locker's book, All the Divine Names and Titles, lists 364 names and titles for Jesus Christ alone. 364 names and titles for Jesus Christ alone. That's not a Jehovah God, God the Father, but that's Jesus Christ alone. Through his names and titles, God has chosen to reveal a great deal about his attributes, his office, authority, and prerogatives, and will. Each name designates some distinctive virtue or characteristics of God's nature. You know, Jehovah Sitkanu, Jehovah Raphael, Jehovah Nisi, all of these different names, titles given to God. 
Thus God has made known the glory of his nature through his names. They are not to be abused. Second Timothy 2.19-21 Those who name that name as a responsibility and obligations. And that's what I say being a Christian, we have to look at that in this New Testament era. It says, nevertheless, the foundations of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to dishonor, and some to honor. If a man therefore, listen to this, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. As the book of 1 John says, he who has this hope purified himself. They would be working through his word to be washed and cleansed of God's word. Because like I said, within the church, when they throw that dragnet out and pull all of those fish from the sea, they still had to sort the fish out the good from the bad. That's going to be a time when judgment begins at the house of God. He's the judge between sheep and sheep. There are sheep that keep and buck, keep rebelling and escaping. Maybe it's time to make mutton out of them. <laughs> Sometimes God has to do these things. Yes. That same rod and staff was used to chasten the sheep with also beside leading, guiding, and helping him and facilitating him. Uh, the Living Bible, I think it is, reads, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God which he has laid stands sure and unshaken despite bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord stand apart from wickedness and withdraw from wrongdoing. Whoever's doing it, whatever's going, we're not sitting in the seat of scorners. We go make our company and we go come out of that world, come out of wherever that is, wherever it's going on. We're not going to stand in that congregation or that crowd. Uh, I think I've read enough so you can understand that the church is being refined. God is gathering the wheat from the tares. He's using a refining process, not like you refine silver. So each one of us will be tried by as by fire. And it's going to tell whether you've been building with wood, stubble, or hay. And the fret not themselves, even of the evildoers within the church. God is working, and in the end, there will be a millennial kingdom where we will rule and reign with Christ as promised. His people are going to come forth as the light. It's going to be through his word. It's going to be because of his namesake. As what his word says, it's going to come to pass as spoken. He's doing a new thing within the earth. He's doing a new thing here upon earth. There are those that are blaspheming God's name. And we are careful that we won't be in that number 
who are causing this. Because remember, it says, David, you've caused my name to be blasphemed. And he didn't say David blasphemed, but he says, you've caused it to be blasphemed. How did he do that? By his conduct, his actions as to what he did. Isaiah 43, 10 through 12 says, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I even the Lord, I am he. Beside me there is no God. I have declared and I have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord. So the third commandment comes into play here. The third commandment involves the quality of our personal witness. We are commanded not to blaspheme, profane, or trample upon the name of our God by means of our words, our actions, or our attitudes. We represent him bearing his name as his children. We have a sacred responsibility to uphold the qualities of his name and the highest name of any name in all creation. For we have given him a name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He has given him the preeminence in all things. Now, if you're a Jehovah Witness or someone else, we, we can't not Look at this and say you're causing a division by not acknowledging the name of Jesus as a name above every name. And God had committed everything unto the Son. He's of He's the head of the Godhead. Don't bring Mary or no other angels or anything in here. Jesus has the preeminence. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the apostle of our of our leading. And it was him that was given. He had bought us and he had redeemed us. Cyrus was a type of Christ. And it's in in the righteousness of Christ. We all have our being and we have salvation. The church is not a great nation of military power. It is not a cultural institution organized to change the world. Stop trying to change the world. He had told you this world is passing away. This world is already condemned, but there's a right inside this matrix of what's going on. God has a people and he's working out his purpose. And if we serve him, if we seek the Lord, we'll start seeing his, his purpose and realize that this world is passing away. And there's a fire being kindled. And we exist solely to glorify God through our witness for him. And we must keep witness it's for him. He says, you're my witnesses. I, we can't lose that Savior. Our light has to so shine that men would see our light and give God the glory. He didn't make himself of no reputation. So we shouldn't make ourselves of a reputation where somebody would say, well, his ministry is doing this, or his sneakers, or his this. We don't want a name for ourselves. He didn't make a name for himself. He says, give the glory to God. Don't try to make a name for yourself. The primary witness is the way we live our lives, is we his witnesses. We lift up him as a preacher. I have to hide behind the cross and preach Christ. The gospel of the coming of the kingdom of God. Each believer is a witness before the world of the worth of his relationship with the great God of heaven. 
in making this witness through personal conduct and preaching, we carry out God's purpose. He says and tells us all to do the work of evangelists. We carry God's word where it's not mentioned or said before that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. That's a mission statement. That every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. King David, 2 Samuel 12 and 14, he says, How be it, because by this deed thou hast given occasion, a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. This child also born unto thee shall die. Here God kills a child before it's even born because of something the father did. Romans 2.24, and I told you that earlier, and we'll end with that scripture. For the name of God is blasphemous among the Gentiles through you as it is written. He's talking to the Romans, to the church, to the disciples there, to us. That's the book of Romans. But if you bear the name Jew and rely on the law for your salvation and boast in your special relationship to God, and if you claim to know his will and approve the things that are essential or have a sense of what is excellence based on your instructions from the law, and if you are confident that you are qualified people, guide to the blind, those untaught in theology, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the spiritually, of the childish, having the law embodied of the knowledge and of the truth. Well then, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Well, in ways that are discreet but just as sinful. That's what the Gentiles do. There's more theft going on, they call it a white-collar or blue-collar sin, than any of those that's locked up for stealing and armed robbery and all this. This last president, he rewarded and got people all. Michael Milken, I think he gave him probation. This is a guy that stole hundreds of millions of dollars from retirees. Old people had to go back to work or whatever. Through our markets and things, and that's what people have. They're looking at Israel or the Jews. And the Israel of God is not that little sliver of a nation over there where they're fighting with Netanyahu now about the government and the coalition that he's trying to raise to tear down democracy in Israel. His government that he's forming is doing the same thing that Trump and they did in Spain and Brazil and some of the, in France that uh, Le, Pen, Le Pen's daughter was trying to do. They're trying to abolish democracy throughout the world. And when people talk about the Jews, they're always talking about the Jews. There's nothing special about the Jews but that God chose them. They're just like any other people. It's just that God had chosen them. All men, if you believe in that part of the Constitution that they say is they believe all men are created equal, why would you enslave a people and name a people or have a people that you say is less human among you then? If you actually believe that all men are created equal, if we all brethren and all the same, and see, that's what people keep promising, oh, but that's in the tribulation of during that time. That's when the Jews will start preaching or teaching. 
show me throughout history where the Jews were so productive in preaching and teaching. Or didn't God have to destroy the Jews because they didn't take heed to his laws. They didn't respect God in anything they do or anything they did. That's why he gave Israel a bill of divorcement and they was the ones that crucified him upon the cross. They said, we have no king but Caesar. See, what advantage it is to the Jew except for the law was given unto them. But see, now the playing field is level because he was a light unto the Gentiles. And he says he hadn't seen greater faith in all of Israel than in the Gentiles. And I was telling you about through conscience with the Gentile, if it's written on their hearts, God had written the law on the hearts. See, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, which is a much better covenant. Than of this law, because people talk about the law, and they were talking about it, and Trump was saying that he did more for Christianity than any other man did. Uh, hold on now, you're going a little bit far here. This is a bridge too far, and evangelists, evangelicals was breaking up with him, because if you make a hobby horse out of abortion, and that's what most preachers and things rally around or whatever, that's their whipping board. But what happens when the United States do away with abortion? Now what you're going to use? What, what are you going to unite to fight with it now? They don't have anything to unite behind now since that's been struck down Roe versus Wade. Yes. You and the Christian community don't have anything to unite with the fight. You have to be united in Christ Jesus and walking by faith. That's what shall establish. By faith, we help establish the law of God. So what advantages be a Jew? There's no difference in a Jew or Gentile, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we're fighting about. That's a name. That's a reputation we're fighting about in his holy name. Those that name of name of Christ, have they departed from iniquity? Have they purged and purified themselves to be vessels of honor? Vessels that God surely can use. That's a name and a reputation he stakes everything on. On the name of Jesus. At that name, every knee shall bow. Watch people using that name in vain. Look at how that name is used throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. For the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written in Scripture. And how many of us have caused people to say ill of the name of the church because we living and not surely representing the church as we should? Heavenly Father, as we 